and a one, and a two, and a one, two, three, four. Hello, welcome to House of Strauss. Welcome to Industry Talk, the live call-in podcast where we usually run down a range of sports media topics with my magnificent co-host, Ryan Glassfiegel, the New York Post. How you doing, Ryan? I'm doing well. Magnificent, man. You you yeah. just keep coming up with these superlatives to oh, yes. inflate my ego. Yes, it's uh, I'm like a British soccer announcer after a goal is what I am with these. Uh, <laughs> spectacular, transcendent, magical, all that kind of stuff. I hope I didn't crack anybody's eardrums doing that. I don't know. I'm feeling it. We have a range of topics right here, Ryan. We've got the NBA free agency media game. Uh, we have so many things. And yet, Ryan, yet, I want to start on your article regarding one carry champion. That is the subject I want to kick this off with. What say you? Let's do it. You want to describe it or you want me to describe it? You you are the king of expository because you wrote about it, and then I will fire off some takes. If you are still on the call. I think I need to actually invite Ryan back on. I don't know what happened, people. Let's try this. Okay. Invite to speak. Trying a one, a two, a three. Muzzling Ryan. Muzzling. Like All right. champion feels she was. Okay. Let's get the expository. All right, let me pull up the transcript real quick. Um, mm. So I'm making sure that I quote her right. Um, yep. Okay, so. Ryan? Does anybody hear Ryan right now? Does anybody not hear Ryan? Can I get thumbs up? Can I get emojis if people do not hear Ryan? Mic check. Mic check. What is going on? I do not want to have to filibuster today. Ryan, we cannot hear you currently. Okay, so I'm not the only one. I mean, at least I feel less alone seeing the chat. At least I I know I'm not the only person here. Um, Now, seeing as I'm not a technical whiz, I'm just assuming that perhaps Ryan... I'm going to boot him and invite him back on. Maybe promote him to moderator. Maybe that does something. Maybe force mute. Unmute. Ryan, Ryan, can you unmute yourself and talk, sir? Man, we have such a great show, too. It's such a tragedy. It's so sad. I mean, this could be a way, folks, where I get to try out my Jim Rome uh, my Jim Rome skills and just do an entire show like a freak talking to the air and seeing if I can pull it off. Uh, let's remove from the speakers. Ryan, we're going to try one more time with Ryan, though. We're going to try and invite him to speak and see what happens. Ryan, you have been invited. If you can hear me. You've been invited, sir. Come on, come on. Now, I do think I've evolved in this respect. I think if I had done this or if this happened at the beginning of my doing the call-in, I think I'd be in a sweat. I think I'd be panicking. I think that I'd be genuinely nervous. But I just don't feel that way right now. It's like this is going to work it itself out however it works itself out. So here's what we're going to do, folks. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give some expository on the, cher- on the carry champion situation as I saw it, drawing heavily off what Ryan wrote. We're going to see if we can get Ryan on by hook or by crook. Perhaps he's going to have to be in the caller queue. I don't know what. I don't know how. But we're going to try this. And you guys can hear me okay. Can I get any thumbs up from the uh, the people in the chat? Any emojis? Okay, good. So, Ryan wrote about how Carrie Champion, Carrie Champion was on a podcast uh, with some former athletes, including Brandon Marshall. And... Oh, are you there, Ugh. Ryan? Oh, thank you. Oh, my God. God. I can't believe. So I, whenever I close the app now, it closes me. Um, uh, you you read you read the post because it's not letting me do that and talk. Okay. Well, this is what happened. We got to the bottom of it. And we've got people now hanging on our, on our every word. So she did this podcast uh, called I Am an Athlete, and she talked about, in between complimenting Skip Bayless and Stephen A. Smith, whom she worked with on first take for about three years. 
Uh, she said effectively that she was muzzled on the show, that they didn't let her have an opinion. Now, she thought that they had a bias against her when she was trying out for the show. The moderator had been a blonde woman before. She wasn't the model perhaps they were looking for. I don't think she has a specific like specific proof of that, but I mean, it's it's not a crazy idea that that was the case, but she won on the strength of the audition and she just felt like she was never allowed to have an opinion. Now, why do I find this topic interesting? Because, look, Carrie Champion, maybe not the most famous of people, People have their grievances against ESPN. God knows I might have some. Um, It's not exactly breaking news. And yet it popped up. And I think it popped up because it's one of these these attacks on um, polite lies, I I suppose, when it comes to entertainment and these broader questions of what are these companies doing? What are these companies doing when they say we want diversity or we want this or we want that? versus the bottom line of making the money. Now, First Take is an interesting show because it seems to have a model that nobody admits to, Ryan, where there is, I'm just broadly speaking, there's a black guy arguing with a white guy uh, with a slightly disinterested female moderator, and there's some subliminal magic happening where maybe they're vying for her at some level, and it just seems to work. Am I crazy in describing the First Take model as it is? Yeah, I th- so what it was described to me is they wanted the host to be like kind of like an Ernie Johnson where yeah. it's a conductor amid the chaos. You know, the train is going off the tracks and there's a person who with like the right um, chemistry with the analyst is able to chart them back on the course. And so that's the role that she signed up for and agreed to and all the hosts of First Take and, yeah. and Undisputed sign up and agree to. And it gets them a lot uh, more notoriety than they maybe had in past roles. But within probably a year or two, they're like, wait a minute, I have sports opinions too. How yeah. come I don't get to voice them? And the answer is, we hired you to basically be Vanna White. Like, you're Vanna White of this debate show. That's that's what we have hired you to do. That's what it is. But there are these polite lies where I'm sure in between hiring them for that role, in between them doing that role, there's all this praise of you're amazing and come to the ESPYs and your career's taken off like a rocket ship. And God knows if they have an agent, the agent is in their ear saying you got to do more. You can be so much more. And so I think what happens is that the role is in a way one where you are a prop. Like that is kind of what's happening, but nobody totally admits it. So there are a lot of polite lies. And then, you know, people in these roles, I think, understandably, they they do get they do get frustrated. And I think you and I, I think there's this reflexive urge to say, well, hey, this is the business you chose This is the job you signed up for. But it's just interesting because I don't think she's the only one who finds herself in such a role where in a way. Um, she realizes at some level that for all the praise, she isn't actually being taken seriously. So I, um, I'll push back on some of that. No, to your point, I do think that this happened with Joy Taylor and Jenny Taft on Undisputed. Um, but you know, there's, I, I don't think that it's like a man or woman thing. Like, yes, it's all been women on first take and undisputed but we just talked about ernie johnson and like there's any number of male anchors in sports media whose job is to tee up um analysts or debaters like tony reale doesn't interject much of his own opinions into around the horn Mm. um kurt menefee and reese davis have been you know thriving for years at fox sports and espn and they don't um, ever kind of get resentful about the idea of being a moderator or an anchor or a traffic cop or whatever. And then there's also the fact that um, these women who have hosted First Taken Undisputed have used that as a stepping stone into roles with more notoriety. So Carrie yeah. Champion got to host her own sports center after that. She wasn't going to go directly from where she was, which is, I believe, Tennis Channel, to solo hosting the Noon Sports Center. 
Um, yeah. Joy Taylor got to join the herd with Colin Cowherd, and she gets to voice her opinions on that show. Jenny Taft has become the top college football sideline reporter at Fox Sports, which is an enormous job. I mean, there's way more people are watching Ohio State versus Michigan than the any NBA finals games. And she's also got she's going to have a prominent position on their men and women's World Cup coverage. So millions and millions and millions of people are going to see her work. But when they're on Undisputed and First Take, they feel very limited and it's kind of a cycle for the show. And then the other thing is that um, Jamie Horowitz, who created those shows, he also created his and hers, which gave um, Jamel Hill, who was a columnist before she got to ESPN and gave her opinions that way. But that was her first regular daily opinion role. And he also created um, Sports Nation, which positioned Michelle Beadle in an opinion role opposite Colin Cowherd. So the, the shows that he's made have created opinion roles for women and arguably more than anybody else has. I think besides Jamel and Michelle Beadle and Joy Taylor, the only woman who has had a real opinion role was Rachel Nichols on the jump. Maybe I'm missing a couple, but I I can understand why um, they felt limited in the moderator role, but at the same time, they signed up to be moderators. Yeah, it's the godfather. This is this is the business you chose. But I also think I think you're you have a little more freedom to be an Ernie Johnson uh, with the Turner guys. I mean, that's a whole uh, cow snapping, uh, usually all male environment where there are a lot more insults and you can playfully insult. And there just seems to be more freedom there. And it's I mean, I, I think I'm keen in a little bit on how they do have something of a census category uh, model that is not admitted to. I mean, I'm always into those sorts of taboos. I'm into the idea of when there's something happening, everybody notices it, nobody talks about it. So I'm drawn as, you know, you're, you're pushing back. I think it's a fair pushback, but I'm drawn to them having this model that they can never admit to for what is the most successful sports debate show. Now, do, would they need that model? Could they have people of any background doing the role they're doing and get the same ratings? I mean, perhaps... Perhaps they could. I don't well, know. Well, yeah, I mean, PTI doesn't have a moderator, and it's only been one of, I mean, probably the most successful sports show oh, for the past One of the years. most influential shows in television history. I know I sound like James Lipton spouting <laughs> hyperbole when I say that, but it's literally true. If you see a side scroll on a TV show you are watching, alerting you as to what is about to come up, as you will see... On most cable channels of any topic, that comes from PTI. That that is one of the most influential shows ever. But but continue. Yeah. Um. So, but they, you know, it's interesting because on the Bayless shows, um, they've kept the moderator role the same, but they've actually evolved it a little on first take with Molly Karam, and now she kind of picks her spots, gets to come in with an opinion. She had. She has monologues on occasion. Remember, she had that one about Mina Kimes a few months ago that went really viral. And so, um, like, Stephen A has kind of allowed her to blossom in that role in a way that um, nobody on Undisputed has quite done yet to evolve into really you know, providing their own um, personal insights. Well, you can always do it uh, L. Duncan did apparently, and just use the studio if you feel like you want to get a takeoff and just put it on social media. I mean, that's this whole this whole other thing. I, I think another interesting aspect of ESPN to me, and I wonder if it's like this in every organization. Every census category of person thinks they're being slighted and denied opportunities because of that designation. That well, is my just so few spots, and there's only like you know there's. Scott Van Pelt, there's Stephen A. Smith, and then there's Mike and Tony. Does anybody else feel totally safe and appreciated at that place? No. But I, it's kind of by design, no. Like, they're all, it's hammered into you, like, 
the four letters matter above all else. The um, well, but the people are interchangeable. I'm curious about this aspect because I talk to white guys who are vying for TV roles at ESPN. They say they don't want a white guy. And then you hear Carrie Champion saying they didn't have a black woman um, on there. They didn't want a black woman. And is there is there any person from any census category at ESPN who says, <laughs> I, I'm in the sweet spot. Uh, I'm exactly what they want. Um, all things being equal, uh, you know, pardon the pun or whatever. It's just, it, there's something funny about this and maybe a little bit tragic that everybody feels like ESPN is, is out to slight them because of, uh, traits about themselves. They can't change. Yeah. Um, that is, it, it it's just, it's because they've had, you know, since 2015, they've had several rounds of layoffs where there was that one where all of these like OG guys got really like hammered. Like, you know, Andy Katz when um, Ron Jaworski, Merrill Hodge, like these people who you basically thought of as furniture at the network were just all pushed out in one fell swoop. And ever since then, there's been like amongst talents, like, some like paranoia, some Game of Thrones, and some of it's justified. But yeah, I I don't know um, at this point, kind of like how you fix it. Like by the way, I would love to give my opinions on TV too. Nobody has mm. given me that. It's very unfair. I um, wish I could. I wish I could say that about myself, Ryan. But I was just on Colin Cowherd giving my takes, even. <laughs> Even admitting that perhaps the politicization, if I can even pronounce that word, like a non-drunk person, might have something to do with ratings going up or down. So, you Me? know, I, I, yeah. but where, where we've never had that discussion on never. this show. I don't never. know um, where you from the group chats from. It's from the group chats. Yes, it was funny. I, I got that takeoff and I was a little curious and I. I looked up the clip and YouTube commenting is usually a precarious place to go. But I, I people were actually saying, well, two things. Um, thank God somebody finally admitted it. And also this guy isn't looking at the camera. So those are the two, <laughs> That's, two bits. Uh... The two bits of feedback that I uh, that I noticed. Um, it's so one... hard to look at the webcam when you're on one of these spots no. um, through digital because the um the person on the screen is beneath the webcam they haven't figured out like there there's got to be some way that someone makes a laptop that puts the like webcam like right where the person you're looking at on the other end of the zoom is but for people like you or i who aren't doing this for a living day in and day out. It's not a very natural vantage point. No, I I looked weird. It's weird when somebody is talking at you and not looking at you. It's creepy. So I apologize to anybody. I might have creeped out in my appearance on Cowherd. I just love being on Cowherd. He keeps saying that I have a Warriors podcast. It's not true. I don't have the heart to correct him. It's just, hey, whatever you say, Colin, you know, it's a Warriors <laughs> podcast. Somebody's going to, somebody's going to listen. They're going to think it's weird than talking to, uh, talking to uh, Sagar on Jetty, but you know, wh- whatever. It's good. It's cool. I just like to be in the game. I just like you're, to be you, but you're known for your Warriors takes, even if you don't have a Warriors podcast. That's not such a like terrible mischaracterization. It's not like he said you have a podcast no. about the Seattle Sounders. <laughs> no, he. It's it's close enough, right? I I am generous in that way. If somebody. If somebody calls me Evan or Nathan, I'm just like, whatever. It's close enough. It's cool. I'm not going to be mad about it. It's annoying to me when somebody goes, it's Tara, not Tara. I do, wants- I do want to yeah. return to Carrie, though, because yeah. she's. it's now been several years since she left ESPN. She had a show with Jamel Hill on Viceland, which is like a, a channel that you can't find with a map and a compass. Mm. Um, and then... They their show migrated over to CNN Plus, which um, got axed about seven minutes after it started. But nonetheless, I don't recall a time. And you know, Skip and Stephen A. go viral like several times a week for their sports opinions. And yeah, they're starting from a big distribution point of ESPN and FS1, which are in, you know, 75 million homes or each or whatever. But I don't know that there's been anything that, like, Carrie has said about sports on those shows 
that has taken on kind of a viral life mm. of its own. Can you recall one of those? I can't recall one of those. And maybe that's why you often see what can be criticized as griping or grievance, because that's the way that a champion and not just her will go viral. I mean, well, yeah, that's we're talking what, like, about it. I am athlete. That's the clip they isolated. They knew that that was um, the, the segment that they could pull out from their, I don't know, hour long or whatever chat that would catch, you know, the, the eye of the aggregators like myself, um, mm. which gives us a good segue. Oh, are we, are we going windy? Are we going we're windy? We're going windy. It, it, it's getting windy out there. I mean, it's, it's getting also, windy. I, it's the, also, the wind is uh, at our back. The sailboats are moving. Oh, man. Um, I'll, so, I'll, I'll do the expository okay, on this one. I, I, I could not get enough of it over the weekend. I was at a wedding, and yet I kept returning to my phone and looking at Brian Windhorst memes. Why? Because Brian, on one of these sets where they're breaking down NBA free agency, just First take, it, and ironically... First take, yes. First take. He did. He's just. I. I am fascinated by human charisma, and I'm fascinated by magnetism. And with Windhorst, he's one of these guys where I've heard that in the focus groups, people say I want more of that guy, and you saw a little sample of it because he unspooled this kind of mystery of what the of what the Utah Jazz were up to, without totally giving it away. And he had everybody on that set just on a hook as he told them something was amiss, there had been a trade that happened that didn't really fit with the team's short-term goals. Something's going on in Utah. What's going on in Utah? We need to figure out what's going on in Utah. And he did it all with these glorious gesticulations. And if you've been on the internet now, you have seen these memes and Brian Windhorst has gone viral. And to me, it's a topic of interest because he's somebody who at the company is just he, he performs like this. People like watching him on the TV. Again, I have heard the focus groups say more windy. They don't want more windy. They didn't have him on the NBA show this season. And now he has gone viral just by doing what he does in his voice, which is not bombastic. It's almost, it's not quite a whisper. It's a little louder, but it just draws people in. And so, uh, yes, Ryan, it was, uh, it, it, it was, amazing to see that whole thing take off um yeah for sure it was and you know there were so many elements of it that were fascinating to me uh the first one was in in espn's hierarchy the the like breaking news is supposed to really be filtered through Woj. we've gone through this a million yeah. times i don't think we need to rehash it all but when he left yahoo for espn it was essentially an agreement that um, the the breaking news would go through him. And so Windhorse is not going to get these transaction scoops very often. Um, it's like he's not going to be the one who tweets that the um, Jazz sent Gobert to the Wolves. Um, that, that really isn't like what his role is at the company now, if that's what it ever was. And so the way for him to... Um, get these scoops is to hint at them in advance like he did with that jazz trade and it was funny he said today that he was like trying not to get aggregated because if it fell through because you know sometimes football teams get first and goal from the one and don't score a touchdown like these trades can be very close but fall apart and he didn't want to have that thrown in his face. So he was being like cagey on purpose. And it wasn't ESPN that shared no. this viral clip. It was someone from Barstool, Stephen Che, who saw it, was captivated by it, rewound on his DVR, recorded it on his phone, and tweeted it to get ultimately millions of views. And ESPN, they like say that the whole population of America watches their YouTube channel. They have this armada of people um, under what, what's the guy, the house Omar Raja, who mm. um, just is supposed to try and take anything from their air and anything off their air that's supposed to go viral and disseminate it. 
And yet, like, while they're airing Wimbledon on ESPN and First Take on ESPN2, something recorded from a barstool guy's phone of Windhorse, who <laughs> they don't feature nearly enough. Windhorse um, talking about like, the Utah like, Jazz. comes the talk of the town. Yeah, talking about the Utah Jazz. That, that is what went viral because it was good. Because it was informational. Because that, again, is what I have heard from when they do these focus groups, is that Windhorst, who I think gets unfairly slammed, you hear these reflexive, he just loves LeBron or whatever. That, that gives say. him cover, I think, though. Everyone assumes that he gets everything from like LeBron and or Clutch. And I don't think that that's actually no. true, that he does get stuff from them. No. I think like that they don't like going through him because of the perception that they give it to him. But because everybody else thinks that, it gives him cover to like really speculate on juicy gossip and have the, the real sources not have it pinned on them. Yes, and he likes to do that sort of speculation. And he is kind of an aggregation magnet and again there's just something to the voice it's just something you just want to lean in and go okay where is this taking me where is this going it's like it's like you're grilling s'mores around the campfire and he's telling (laughs) ghost stories um the other thing and i I don't want to i really don't want to sound insensitive towards um brian about this but he is large And there aren't a lot of large people on television. Think about the proportion, like we're talking about how every census group thinks that they are discriminated against by ESPN. How many large people do you see on that network or any network compared to their proportion of the American population? It it, It is is, very low. It is funny what people won't admit to as to having an edge. It's not like Carrie Champion says... But, you know, I also had an advantage because I'm just a stunningly attractive person, right? Um, that's not something that, that is discussed. And, yeah, that's that, that I think, is a thing as, as far as how ESPN regards themselves. But uh, who's perhaps their most popular personality ever, even though they put them out off on an ice flow? It's Chris Berman. And so this gets back to a topic of repeated interest talked about by uh, Sagar myself in the recent podcast, which is at some level, a lot of decision makers in sports media are disgusted by their audience. <laughs> they don't, I guess, in this case, want somebody who might look like somebody from their audience. They want something else. Yeah. And so, like, they, they've got a few. They've got, like, Chris Fallica, the bear. They've, um, they've got that, the caddy, Michael Collins, but like everybody that they ever do put on who's large is like very popular with the viewers. And so, um, you would think that they, and you know, it is not just them. You don't see large people on FS1. You don't see them on Mm -hmm. CNN, Fox news, MSNBC, certainly not. Um, Is Hannity large? Would you say Hannity's large? Um, yeah, but not, you know, capital L large. Yeah, you know, you don't know what's under that suit. I, mean, I, I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you Hannity's BMI. Tucker used to be, but he got all skinny in isolation. But um, yeah. the, yeah, they, they don't, th- this is like an undervalued kind of um, TV demographic. And I think, I don't know like why TV executives are, as shallow as they are because i don't think they need to be yeah i i don't i don't know what to tell you on that one to me it's again interesting I, this is an insight i'm giving you a, a wind folks gather around children that brian again tests so well and yet no job of prominence and uh there are a lot of dynamics behind the scenes the other aspect to this uh woe is terrible on television I, I say it with no malice or no contempt but that's the other thing there's this other aspect to it Brian goes viral because he's indicating what's going to happen. He's given us a hint as to what's going to go down and why. And given us a narrative as well. He's explaining it in this case of how Danny Ainge is rebuilding the Jazz uh, in the image of the Celtics before. And he's doing the exact same thing. That's interesting. You don't get that with the Woj regime because they want to be able to break the news a few seconds before the other guy. And anything interesting has the potential to piss somebody off if it's out there before that source wants it out there. 
And I think it's been to the detriment of their coverage. And, you know, but like the, the thing that he really did, what the, what he, he telegraphed a rant to the Warriors like a year in advance. And I think that that was kind of when everybody put a stop to him doing that. Mm, You think that, so that was 2016. I remember that he, he was uh, one of the first to telegraph that. Um, so you think he stopped it then? I just think that he went to ESPN and he's a smart guy. He's a strategic thinker, Woj is. And he just wanted to, like Henry Ford did mass mobilization for cars. He wanted to do that with the breaking of news and just kind of have it served up. And he would uh, tweet out the agent and the agency that gave it to him. And it would all just flow so frictionless. But what that ends up uh, turning into in the content space is very, very boring content. And that's what we've seen. And so, yeah, it just seems like maybe ESPN should take a hint, take a clue, care less about the news game and be more into the actually entertaining us when they talk about sports game. Um, Well, I guess we'll have to see. Yeah. Well, we'll see them not do that. We'll see them not. They, they, again, this is the other thing too, that we talk about. They've got a monopoly on TV, right? So they, they'll never, they'll never improve. They, they don't have any incentive to improve. So, uh, so it will never happen. Um, do we have another topic on the docket, Ryan, or should we, we take, take any the calls? callers before we, we had one other, the, um, the Brittany Griner stuff, but I think we can take callers in between. Somehow, somehow I think that topic is not going away anytime soon. So we'll take a call. Okay, Jonathan. Jonathan, he's been patient. Very patient. Hey, good e- good evening. Hey, Hi. Hi. yes, briefly about Brian Windhorst. I think truth is attractive, authenticity is attractive, and Brian Windhorst is Brian from Omaha. It's mm. not New York City. It's not Los Angeles. People can tell authenticity and. Memes convey, I think, they tend to convey, especially right-wing memes, in my opinion, something that is not really mentionable in our current cultural zeitgeist, but does have some truth in it. It is uh, a means of communication that goes out into the world because it's not easy to talk about it in your workplace. You might get written up by HR. And I think that type of general sentiment is at play here. Brian is informed and authentic, and he's telling the truth with some constraints, and that's attractive. Okay, Jonathan, I would I would agree. Uh, I would agree with that. I think there's an authenticity and just being good. Um, I, I think things often succeed because they're good. And in media, we can do this thing of trying to explain the success of a TV show or a writer or anything. And we sometimes forget that, yeah, it's also just good, you know? Yes. <laughs> it's I'm good. In agreement there. <laughs> Let's get Matt up there. I'm, I'm trying to speed things along. So I apologize for bouncing people off and not, and not lingering. But Matt, are you there? Mr. Yeah, Buck can you hear me? Yes. Yes. All right. Uh, I jumped in late, so sorry if you already uh, covered this, but two quick questions. One, how does ESPN not get the like first string guys, the Stephen A's, to stick around for an extra week through free agency? Just got me thinking with Windhorse being up there with the, I guess, third stringers, you could call them. It's because mm. they air Wimbledon on the main ESPN, and so their first take and all their other studio content is behind the eight ball. Um, Wimbledon is going to get better ratings than these shows would have gotten, even if they are ESPN's typical bread and butter, because, you know, the whole name of the game is live sports, but it is an inconvenient time in the calendar as far as ESPN is concerned for when free agency begins. Boom. You had the answer right there. That's impressive. I, I, I was wondering as well, Matt, do you have another question or is that the only question? No, uh, very quick. So, Ryan, I know you're a Brewers fan. Are you a Bucks fan? I am. Good to hear. That's all I needed. Okay. <laughs> I, um, I have, like, slowly, gradually picked up the Wisconsin teams. I was Packers first. Then I became a Badger. And then over the last 10 years or so, I added the Brewers and the Bucks. So I'm not a lifelong fan of them, but I have um, been of late. What, what is your city of origin again? 
Um, Simsbury, Connecticut, the home of Jade Hoy. Oh, that is that is the case. Yeah, it is very confusing. Your your various allegiances. Okay, let's get Win on there. Win, are you there? And a one and two and a one two three four. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah. Yes, we can hear you. Yes. Sorry. Yes. Um, All you good. A, I was gonna say a little side note. You made that um, nice, quick, like allusion to the like. Um, discrimination on the basis of like looks and attraction. I know mm. Rob Henderson, I feel like you've spent stock to him before, but he talks yes. about that. I had him, on like the po- a, had him on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember that. That was a great, yeah. That's a, that's a very taboo. That's like one of the most taboo topics. Well, I it's bet. a looks privilege. You can tell it's the ultimate privilege because nobody even admits to lacking it. Nobody even wants to draw attention yeah. to how ugly they are. Exactly. Like, that's how you know. Yeah, exactly. I feel like that adds a lot to do with the wet horse thing. But something that I always wondered about the census comment you guys were talking about, or just the kind of always concerned about demographics of who are working for your organization. I think we're sometimes I do think we're at a point now where it's kind. It, it's not just like we're hitting a law of diminishing returns, but it actually has an adverse impact on the culture of the organizations you work at. Um, talking well, about this carry champion issue, and I'll and I'll turn off and hear you guys. Well, yeah, I think. If you're not keeping the main thing, the main thing, it's my moral intuition that there are significant consequences to having competing values other than just whatever is the most productive for an organization. Now, a lot of smart people don't feel that way. They feel like, oh, it's on the margins or it's just one element or, you know, it all comes out in the wash. But it it has been just my observation that it, it is corrosive when you start when you start saying that we're talking about something other than producing the best product. Now, here's where it gets a little bit complicated and a little bit fraught. If we're working at, I don't even know what, some company that churns out some objective thing, some product that people can consume, we can have these objective standards and have people do tests. And we say, hey, you know, whoever made it, made it. It's according to objective standards. But show business is different. People do judge on the basis of broad categories that are beyond your control. I always point to the example of it seems like in nature documentaries, people enjoy an old man narrator. I don't know why they enjoy an old man narrator. I don't know why they want Morgan Freeman or Donald Sutherland or David Attenborough. I don't know why. But that that's just what people want. Is that fair to anybody who's not an old man? Of course, that's not fair. And maybe uh, somebody is just studying to be the greatest of nature document documentary narrators, and they won't get it because of that that aspect. But that's just it, it's this thing that nobody's really trying to figure out or discuss because we're often presented with this representationism as though it is both a business strategy and a moral goal. And that it's one in the same. And nobody really answers whether it's one or whether it's the other. And so you just have a lot of uh, you just have a lot of discord and discontent from people within these organizations because they're not sure what the whole point is supposed to be. Yeah, I don't really have much to add to that. It's um, it, 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 it who knows? I mean, I don't see these issues going away for ESPN any time in the horizon. Yeah. I mean, I, I think they're it's legitimately complicated. You the, these same talks go on in the cable news stations um, or even like Fox sports. It's really just ESPN. No matter who comes in and out of the organization, they're constantly dealing with um, this conversation. Yeah. And it's, Again, I mean, you can't be open about why you're making the decisions that you're making. I I would point to an example where it's a little more palatable for people to to, to consume this example. So it's a good example to use, in my opinion, which is they had a show called The Starters on NBA TV. It was for affable uh, white basketball bros, if you will. Delightful guys, an excellent presence to have uh, on your TV set. I don't know I would green light that show if it was brought to me because I do know that approximately 40% of NBA fans are black and 
people do just judge things often uh, and think about, is this made for me if they see themselves represented or not? That's something the woke are sort of correct about in many instances. And so that would not be fair to them. And if I were making that decision and I was an executive and I was uh, pushing that button, I think I would just lie about why I was doing it. And I think people do that all the time in these organizations where they are making decisions based on things like that, but they can't say so. So there are just so many polite lies uh, involved in all the decision making. You know, if they come to you and you are the head of ESPN, they say, we just did a focus group. And uh, it turns out that the ratings go down 10% when we have a female announcer on the games. Are you going to admit that's why you didn't hire such and such? I mean, you're not going to admit that if that's the case. I want to say, by the way, it's a hypothetical. I don't want to get aggregated like that's a legitimate thing that happened. But, you know, am I saying anything interesting, Ryan, or am I rambling? It is. Uh, no, it is interesting, and I get your point. <laughs> it's a good job by you. <laughs> anyway. Good job by you. Let's <laughs> have JF call him to the stage. JF. Yo. Uh, hey, guys. So I have a lot of... I have a lot of thoughts on this topic, um, uh, you know, particularly to Wynn's point about it being kind of detrimental to the entire process. Uh, I went through a phase because before kind of the corporate activism was, you know, what it, the current thing is now, I said before, like the summer of 2020, it was really kind of gender equality and kind of me too. And uh, I was working for a, a pension fund and we were an LP and a lot of private equity and venture capital funds. And as a collective, as an industry, it was a trade organization really that we were coming together and saying, oh, you know, uh, the venture capital firms aren't hiring enough women, right? So, you know, we're going to lob this over them and they have to hire more women partners. But the issue was like, it's a very kind of pyramid structure of hierarchy within uh, VC firms and just the industry as whole. Right. So what ended up happening was we were just basically holding our commitments over uh, VCs and saying, you put women in uh, into new roles and or, you know, high roles. And they were jumping over probably, you know, dozens of other males that were in that same firm at a higher level. Right. So now principals at Klein or Sequoia were getting jumped over by females that were like senior associates just to kind of fill the demographic need that the LPs were superficially placing on that firm. And I was kind of outraged within the organization to say, like, this will have, you know, really horrible consequences at the end because they're, gonna, they're not prepared. They won't make, you know, you can't have kind of gender equity in this industry because there's a number of reasons. And one that was very interesting I wanted to speak on was uh, I remember when you had Nate Duncan on and you guys kind of discussed or argued um, differences between the genders, you know, women are just uh, less. I, 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 my, my take on that is I was correct, but continue. Yes, absolutely. And your Syrian <laughs> backed you up on this, but women are, you know, are risk adverse, right? So like, you know, anyways. How dare you, that. sir? No, continue. You're saying, you're saying, you're talking about on like a, you know, average differences and and the stuff James Damore got fired defenestrated over. But you were saying exactly. But the fact is that we were actually going to these firms and demanding that they hire, uh, putting like a lot of pressure on them to hire more female partners when really there wasn't, you know, a pool for qualified female partners to be plucked from. Right. And, you know, we were basically oversampling them in the industry's whole, like I said, because generally the partners at these firms are like, electrical engineers, you know, founders, uh, people who've been through for a long time. So they were just p- picking up inexperienced kind of MBAs uh, that were probably going through demographic selection, you know, yep. portals themselves. Uh, so, and I said, this is going to be really bad in the long run. Like, you know, because, you know, uh, none of these women are prepared to do it. And, you know, we can talk about the sensibilities between men and women and how even culturally we are, you know, we basically raise daughters to be very risk adverse, right? If you send your mm-hmm. son and daughter to movies at the age of 13, your boy, you don't really care. But if your daughter, you're going to tell her, you know, what time are you going to be leaving? Give me your, you know, mm-hmm. call me as soon as it's done. I'm picking you up. With your son, you're not going to do that, right? And, you know, probably the opposite. You're probably going to encourage your son to take more risks as he's a teenager where your daughter is, you're incredibly overprotective, uh, so that just kind of shapes the mentality that they have uh, later in life and that, you know, 
Well, I, I think like the least controversial way to approach it is that in any industry, you're not going to have, or in the vast majority, a talent pool that is directly proportional to the population. And there's something strange about pretending like that. So it's yes. just not, it's just not, it's just not the case. It's just not the case. You're going to have different distributions and yeah. And, and in modeling, like, and it doesn't just work that only men are ever like advantaged. Like, do you think like men have an economic advantage over women in the model industry? No, they don't. Exactly. Well, before it was like men are so advantaged in crypto, and then afterwards it's well, maybe it wasn't so great to have been advantaged there. I mean, there is this thing where not every gender gap uh, is beneficial. <laughs> to, yes, to men. and, and there, but there's absolute like cultural preferences too, right? Like, you no, know, yeah. there's not a ton of women who are really you know vying for this, but there's a ton of guys, and this is the same in the sports industry, right? Like, how many people, as, as Ryan said, like how many people you know, killed to be on ESPN to be the presenter. And I guarantee it's not 50-50 between men and women. There's yeah. many more sports fans uh, that are men oh, than women. Yeah, and, if you, if, like sports gambling. If you look at the sports gambling apps, I mean, it's over 90% male. Uh, you know, they, they put out like there was some um, – this is kind of funny, and I don't remember the exact study, but somebody like figured out like that the women sports gamblers just do incredibly – and it's like, yeah, that's because people who are like sharp gamblers are registering accounts as their wives and their moms yeah, to get yeah. more money down. Yeah, that's I mean, that's a fascinating wrinkle right there. Yeah. But yes, and again, is that a gender gap that is necessarily, you know, do we want more female degenerate sports gamblers losing their life savings as Ryan does? <laughs> I don't know if we want that. For, like, for, it's, yeah. it's, it's an incredibly small population, you know, portions of the population compared to, you know, the Brian's the world or, you know, my other friends. <laughs> well, for the record, you know, I had to hire a special accountant to deal with taxes on my gambling. <laughs> I know so you're I'm going to lose my life savings. It hasn't happened yet. I know your Ace Rothstein. Well, speaking of such so, a thing, I've, I've noticed that one third of the Fortune 500 CEOs happen to be Jewish. Now, I know that there are people yes. who have their conspiracy theories and whatever, whatever on why that is. But, you know, I don't think that there's anything nefarious going on there. Right. It, it, exactly. Absolutely. And, you know, it's the same with uh, there's a lot of Indian CEOs as well. And. Uh, you know, we can go into those cultural, uh, you know, pressures that they have. Well, it's just, th th you've got distributions. They are what they are. They can change over time to a degree. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. But there seems to be an almost childlike insistence in the culture to just insist that, an insistence to insist. I mean, I'm not exactly speaking correctly, but it, the, the pretense that there is something nefarious whenever this thing happens. And I do think to what you're saying, it is driven in part by not wanting to get sued. So that creates a certain pressure within the organization. And um, I, I also think it's not just purely cultural. There's also there's also an exterior pressure to the uh, to the whole dynamic. But it's just created a circumstance where we're having we're having bullshit conversations. We're just <laughs> pretending, you know, it's controversial to say something like uh, men love sports way more than women. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, just come on. Everybody and, knows that. <laughs> and, and absolutely. And the pretense is kind of like what, you know, you mentioned Robert Henderson or uh, when did, you know, it's a luxury belief, right? That, yeah. oh, no, women just love sports just as men, much as men. We must respect them and, you know, elevate them within the industry as much as men, which is a total, you know, farce, uh, you know, especially when you guys talked about the college oh. kind of realignment last week and, it's unbelievable how much money that the women's programs benefit from all the men's programs that are actually, you know, revenue. Well, revenue that's generators. another instance where maybe it's the, the law and the administrative state, because I think that is often in accordance with Title IX as to why it is what it is. But I think we would all want the like the next Jackie McMullen to get hired. Right. Yes. We, would, we would all we would all want that. But, exactly. And I think she succeeded on her own merits. Right. Yeah. You know, that was at a time when it was like. Unwoke, and this is what I'm saying: that when you force the issue, it actually ends up, you know, hurting the entire cause overall. When yeah. you just, you know, do it on merit alone, then well, and, you know, it's it's more successful. And, and people guess, people don't question it too. I mean, like Adam Silver says, we need half of the referees to be women. Nobody raises their hand and goes, 
what does the talent pool look like? Exactly. As as, like people who want to do this and get screamed it, at by six foot nine uh, behemoths and cursed at. I mean, how many of them, like how many women want that? I, I don't know. Maybe it is 50 50. Who no, knows? But nobody asks. Hell no. Hell no. Because if you actually look at like high school refs or college refs or any other yeah. you know, kind of basic refs, it's 100% men. It's like 99% men. I've, never seen a female ref at you know, the lower levels, which, you know, you're supposed to be getting your reps in. So, you know, this idealistic, uh, yeah. uh, you know, you know, sentiment is just total bullshit and it's total luxury belief. And when you actually remove the gatekeepers from these kind of decisions and you let it on its own, like your Substack or podcasting at whole, you know, where are the kind of breakout female voices in the sports industry? Who's going, when you remove the gatekeepers, let everyone access on equal an equal platform, you know, who's rising above the rest? Is there well, any, right? Well, and now, now my woke instincts kick in and I say, I don't know how many people are rising in general outside the ecosystem. You've got to be somebody pretty special, such as myself, to really do it <laughs> yes. independently. Yeah, um, the, the and number I, one I, sports substacker. And sir, I'll have you exactly. know, and I, I'll have you know that I know many uh, female referee degenerate sports gamblers. And, and we shall end the call here. Well, hold on. I want to say one <laughs> no. thing to you because because yes. uh, you mentioned Wendy and I want to ask you why Wendy, because like he is somebody who's like, I love his podcast when he is with Buntemps and um, McMahon. Um, but you know, why is he kind of getting buried within ESPN? Uh, mm. and we, we went over that. Yeah. Well, to a degree. I mean, he's they, he's not the model of what they think they want or what they think is the new hot thing, and they won't just accept that what works works. They've well, tried, you know, they're going to see a lot more of him now. This was his moment I, that made oh, that it. that woke them up. I love it, and I know he wasn't even trying to do it. Okay, so <laughs> we've got Manny with a avatar I can barely see. Let's see if this works here. Let's see. Are you there? Are you there? M A N I. Hey. Can you guys hear me? Uh, a little softly. You got to speak louder. Okay. Can you guys hear me now? It's a little soft. If you shout it, if you shout the question, I think we'll be able to hear it. Okay, I'll try it now. Okay, hold on. Uh, so, my question is simply do you guys think the sudden rise of Brian's popularity will affect his equation with Boach by any chance? Mm. is a competitive guy and he wants to be the face of the NBA on ESPN and I'm not sure if you guys noticed this that people have slowly started figuring it out that Woj carries water for the front offices <laughs> and he talks about potential trades or news on ESPN and I feel, mm. I feel that his reputation has taken a slight hit on social media especially on Reddit Yes, while, while Brian's stock is on the rise Yes, uh, I, I, will. I think you should subscribe to Ethan's Substack. I don't want to take too much credit for allowing people to notice such a thing happening, but I will take some credit for allowing people to notice such a such a thing happening. And I have failed the masses in a way because I felt as though last weekend I had many opportunities to uh, write about how clownish some of the free agency coverage uh, got, how much water was being toted uh for certain i didn't you know i didn't watch it i was just like anything good is gonna find its way to social media and i don't need to consume this as like a primary source yeah yeah i i felt similarly but there were some there's some amusing things amusing things happening uh especially in regards to how a certain caa represented athletes uh how they were discussed how their deals were discussed it was uh it was amusing. It was it was funny. Uh, okay, we'll take one last question and get on out of here. We got Patrick. Patrick, coming up to the stage. Are you there, sir? I mean, maybe we won't get the last Are call. we going to do grind? Can you hear me? Oh, there there we-, we go. There we go. All right. First time. So let me fire off a couple quick questions here. Okay. Um, so when you were doing your podcast with Damon, Ethan, one thing he made mention is that in the sports list at which you are at the top, um, he didn't know a lot of the names of the sports substackers that were popular. Mm. Is there room for Windhorst to go in that direction? 
God, our audience is obsessed with Brian, is what I'm getting from this whole thing. Um, I think it's really hard to make it so far um, in sports on Substack. And so I wouldn't bullshit people that came to me, and people do sometimes do it now. They wonder about it. I'm not sure the space, uh, it's known as a place to go for that yet. Um, if I'm just being frank, uh, in part because the athletic has such a hold on that market of newsletters for sports fans, would Brian fit on Substack? I don't know. I think I get a boost because I'm in the culture commentary space yeah. in addition to the media behind the scenes space. Sure. And so it, it kind of works for me, but I just haven't, I, let me put it this way. I haven't seen it really work at the dollar amount, many prominent, uh, sports media personalities want. I wouldn't. I wouldn't bet against Brian. But if Brian called me and said, "Should I do this?" I wouldn't say, "Oh, you got to do it tomorrow," as <laughs> as, uh, as Domin did to me actually, and said that you've got to do this. So can I get one? Yeah. Can I get one more in off that podcast? Um, sure. When you two were talking about the uh, midseason tourney with uh, Adam Silver's idea that hasn't yep. come to fruition yet, but one thought I've had that about what can make that tournament fun is some sort of a under 25 that way it could solve some of the problems of you know some of these older guys what would be their incentive they already want to load management mm. anyways but if you did under 25 just take the timberwolves for example what if they you know anthony edwards had led them to a mid-season tourney maybe not win but you know a great run and then all of a sudden the discussion around this gobert trade like they'd be coming off their Full team, I'm doing air quotes, had a nice run in the playoffs, but then the under-25 team also, like they could build the storyline of the under-25s are doing well, or if the Warriors, you know, you know what I'm trying That's to say? That's a good idea, but they're never going to do this stuff without like the Steph Curry's and LeBron's of the world. Yeah, I love the yeah. idea of it. It would be a fun thing to gamble on, but yeah. I don't see them doing it. It would be a good product, though. I mean, it's one of the reasons why people like Summer League is that it's yeah. a different tier of team that they get to enjoy. Speaking of which, uh, if anybody's listening and you're uh, in the NBA industry, I will be touching down in Vegas uh, in about two days, taking the, uh, taking the surroundings out there. But I think it's a good, I think it's a good idea. I just don't think that it will, I don't think it will happen, Patrick, but very good questions, you know, great questions. So I appreciate you calling. Do we want to do Griner? Do we want to leave that for I feel like that topic seems like it's going to be what it is for a while. I've thought about writing it. I mean, the most interesting thing to me about the Brittany Griner situation is how the media entities that talk about it avoid the whole, we're in a proxy war with Russia, and that's probably why this is happening. And so, Well, no, I don't yeah. know, because I bet they come down this harshly on just about everybody that they catch with, with weed. You th well, I okay, the, I would push back on that. And here's why. From what I understand, one of the reasons why she had weed is because the players over there are treated uh, as royalty who are above the laws of the land. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, the laws of the land applied to her. And it was perfectly synchronized with this proxy war that the United States is waging uh, against uh, the country that she's in. I would think that those things are connected. I, I might be wrong because people aren't coming out and saying so, but she did. It, apparently, uh, it, it was it was a, su a surprise that this would be a thing. And so I know a lot of people out there, especially on the uh, the right wing of things, uh, the outkick crowd, uh, don't have a lot of sympathy for her. Uh, kind of one of those play stupid games, get stupid prizes situations from their perspective. Uh, especially since she, I guess, had said some unflattering things about the United States and now she wants the United States to save her. But on this podcast, Ryan, we are free Brittany Griner. I don't think that yes, uh, no, she should absolutely. have to rot in a, in a Russian prison in perpetuity. I'm oh, gonna no, throw that absolutely. Out there. I, did, I wasn't <laughs> sure that she was getting like unpreferential treatment compared to even people who are Russian. Though. Okay, so here's a thought experiment. We're getting goofy right now before we sign on off. Uh, what if Vladimir Putin said, and I don't want to be too glib about the situation, but what if he said, if you release the January 6th rioters, then I will release Brittany Griner? What would happen? 
I think they'd say no. They probably would say that you can't do that in the American judicial system with American citizens, and it's impossible. But I would wonder if that would create. I would almost well, just he want could, to see how media because par- Biden could pardon them all. He could do it. I guess yeah. We all know he could. Like every time a president leaves office, they pardon a bunch of random criminals. So would Kerry Champion then? And I think one of the reasons you're bringing this up is that Kerry Champion was saying we need senators, we need everybody to free Brittany Griner. Um, what would Kerry Champion and some of the uh, NBA players and everybody else do in that scenario? Would they say okay? They would say trade? he's making too ridiculous a demand, and that like we can't abide by it. She should be free, but we can't sacrifice who we are. And we can't let people who tried to interrupt the peaceful exchange of power to go free. That's what they would say. You really think, I feel like if you're somebody, if you know Griner, if you have an attachment to her at that point, at that point, you know, you're just trying to do whatever you can to get her to get her free. But look, I'm, I'm being fanciful. I'm being fantastical. It's a serious situation. I, I do hope they release her, although it seems like the way to do it is to exchange her for a notorious arms dealer. But that's a whole other conversation for another time. Well, yeah, that's they're not doing that. So um, <laughs> it, it, it's going to be a while, I think, really, like sadly and unfortunately. Um, I don't... I just don't have faith in Biden's like deal making ability to um, get this done on a timeline that would be acceptable to all interested parties. And we didn't even bring it up, but she wrote a letter and excerpts came out uh, into the media of her, a letter to Biden. Um, and I do think the war aspect is underrated because again what is our leverage with russia right now we have no leverage with this country other than trading arms dealers for Brittany griner because we are funding uh a war they started to be fair but uh, funding the other side of that war and and, and we've yeah. cut off buying oil from them which hasn't honestly hurt them because they've just been selling it to india and china so it's really yeah. only been hurting us um, and i don't currency necessarily is at, like not an all-time high but a recent high and, and I, so everything that yeah. we're like trying to do with these sanctions is, has basically resulted in like chelsea having to sell the football team the soccer team but that's about it yeah and i don't think every celebrity speaking on the grinder thing understands that russia is a sovereign country Truly sovereign. I mean, it's not one of these countries we just tell them uh, to jump and they ask how high. We don't have leverage with them, especially in this situation where they believe that we are sticking our beaks where it doesn't belong um, and getting their soldiers killed. Again, they started the war. We're not in favor of the war here, but that is the perspective from Russia. And so uh, we just really there's not a lot our country can do in this instance other than. If, if if Russia says that they don't want to do any prisoner exchange, uh, if they say we don't even care about the arms dealer, it's done. There's just nothing. There's nothing we can do. Um, and uh, <laughs> and Kerry Champion saying that if she was, in I mean, charge, there, there's gotta be there. There, you would think that there's some bribe amount that could be <laughs> um, agreed to. It might be something like truly outrageous, but you would think that there's like a number. Who said if it was LeBron, he'd be home by now? Who said um, that? that? That was Vanessa Nygaard, who is the coach of the Phoenix Mercury, which is, which have like, um, like they were in the WNBA finals last year with grinders on their team. And they're dreadful this year because yeah. they're missing one of the best players in the sport. Well, I, and number one, I don't know if that's if that's true. Number two, it is this thing of well, she's not LeBron. I mean, LeBron is uh, one of the most famous athletes in the world. It's sort of a different situation, but Russia might just hold LeBron to. I think Russia will hold LeBron. Although I, I tweeted this, um, I think that it's totally unknowable, and I voted for Biden over Trump. Um, I don't want Trump to become president again. I. But I do think that if Trump were president, 
he would have worked out an arrangement to get her home by now. Well, because, and also Putin actually likes Trump, it seems. And uh, personalities and how they mesh, I guess, matter at this level. I mean, that's the thing that Trump was so criticized was that he was so uh, he got on so good with Vladimir Putin, which in this scenario actually uh, helps versus Biden, who uh, is, uh, you know, seems to hate Russia and be very pro-Ukraine. So, again, it just doesn't seem like our nation has a lot of leverage here and has a lot of cards. Yeah, uh, short of giving them back that arms dealer, I really don't know that there's anything that they can do to get her out. Do you know what that arms dealer's nickname is, by the way? It was, what was it? I I did know, but I I didn't retain it. The Merchant of Death. So if we can just free the Merchant of Death, to bring Brittany Griner home, apparently. Um, yeah, I mean, we're, we are, we're laughing about it. It's obviously not funny. We're trying no. to, like, you know, it, it's the, it's one of the most, like, terrible situations you can possibly be in. I wouldn't wish it on really no. anybody. It's, a, um, it's very Midnight Express, modern version of Midnight Express, but between two uh, nuclear powers. So you got to take it somewhat seriously but yeah you know we are we are for freeing britney griner even if this situation that she's in is her fault it is a disproportionate punishment uh that is what i determine as i bang my gavel to conclude what i think one of our best episodes ryan do you have anything to plug yeah i I wish that i was able to read my story while we were on this because i was on a roll with the expository but other than that i think this was a good job by you (laughs) Good job by you as your mic fades out. Okay, until next week, folks, after I'm in Vegas, take care. All right, bye. Bye.